Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Relationship 
that Buddy and I had. I think we respected each other, like many of the other players on the football team. And one thing I remember about Buddy, though, he was a master sergeant in the Korean War, and that's exactly how he ran the defense. He was uh, no holds barred. He came in, he told you exactly what he thought of you as a player and sometimes even as a person. He wasn't really well-liked when he first got to the Chicago Bears. But I remember one game we played the San Francisco 49ers in San Francisco, and he told a story we lost the game because of our defensive effort. And he, and he looked at all of us, and he said, you know what, I expect most of you in this room to make mistakes and be, not be able to be counted on, undependable. He said, but there's a handful of you in here that I count on, that I rely on, that I, I respect your ability, and I need you to do what I ask you to do. And he said, when that doesn't happen, I don't handle it very well as a coach. And he stared off into oblivion. And within a few minutes, tears started rolling down his face. At that moment, I truly believe that the Chicago Bears became the monsters of the midway. And whatever Buddy Ryan wanted from that defensive group, they were going to do for him. There's a common saying in football. Players don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's absolute truth. We knew from that point forward that Buddy was invested in us, and we were invested in him. And anything that he asked us to do, we were going to do it. Buddy Ryan. So that was uh, Doug Plant talking about Buddy Ryan and uh, the 46 defense uh, on this July 4th weekend. So hopefully, you know, we remember that. Same thing with the soldiers uh, on this weekend and everybody that served our country and, and all those serving overseas. And so welcome to the Grand Air Blitz right here on Block Talk Radio and UltimateSportsTalk.com. And that was, uh, like I said, Doug Plant of the Chicago Bears of the famous 46 defense. Um, we're going to have Neil Rosenthal today uh, talking about the WFA-IWFL playoffs that's coming July 9th, um, the Final Four in both those series. We also have SAJ Elf um, in the Finland League as well as the um, – Swedish League in action as well, so you can go to Facebook page and get the updates there. Um, the Orbal Black Knights taking on the Orla Orlando Jets. That's also going to be a pretty good clash this July 9th. So uh, welcome to the Blitz, uh, Block Talk Radio. Oscar Lopez here alongside the informative uh, Troy Wilson and the ever-talented uh, Inkishi Free. Welcome back, everybody. How, how was your weekend? Hey, everybody. Troy, are you there? How's it going, hey, everyone? I, my, my weekend was fantastic. I was outside grilling, which is one of my passions to do. Um, went ahead and, you know, charred some flesh, served it to my family, and, and I, I sat back and I enjoyed it, man. So I, I definitely enjoyed myself. And give a shout-out to everyone who also served in our armed forces as well. Uh, I come from a military background, so listening to um, – <clears throat> excuse me – Listening to Doug Plank talk about how Buddy Ryan was a master sergeant and my grandfather was also a master sergeant in the Korean War as well as the Vietnam War. So that, that brought back some, uh, some some good memories of my grandfather, who was a person that I looked up to, who was uh, really the first you know, uh, man in my life where I looked up to and, and actually loved, and I followed him and uh, did everything that 
you know, um, I, I kind of mimic myself after him as far as like how to, you know, carry myself out in the street and, and, and also how to carry myself, you know, with my family. So I owe who I am to him. So that brought back a lot of great memories for me. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? As a uh, military sister, I am definitely proud to say that, you know, shout out to all the loved ones across the sea, especially my uh, little brother. I'm very, very proud of him. He's an officer in the uh, United States Navy, so I'm very, very proud. Um, And, again, you know, I, too, not in addition to my brother, grandparents, so, you know, I, Troy, you know, the people we look up to the most, the people who influence us the most, I think, seem to have a military background. And congrats to you also, Oscar, because, you know, you keep the quietest kept, but, you know, you're a former military man, and, and it shows in how well you have put together this show. So big up to you. Yeah, I mean, today, this weekend, uh, kind of exciting times. Uh, I know there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, but sometimes we got to take a deep breath. And, uh, you know, just acknowledge uh, the Independence Day, first and foremost. Uh, and then, you know, acknowledge everybody that came before us and then everybody that's currently still defending our freedom around the world. Uh, and then to those families Absolutely. and, you know, those families that are still, uh, you know, worried because, you know, you're all going to – you always get worried when you get the bad news. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that's never the case. But for those that have had bad news, uh, we just uh, – you know, we give our condolences and our prayers go out to everybody that has served and continues to serve. So um, I didn't barbecue, but I did hang out and had some hot dogs. So that was probably a state of the American thing for me. Just a uh, oh, Nathan's hot dog. Yeah. So it wasn't yeah, too bad. Uh, up here in me. Cali. I slept. I slept. Nice. Well, you know, it's. It, Everybody treats it the, the same way. You could have been on a beach in a bikini celebrating Independence Day that you had no idea what it is. That's usually the case nowadays. Right? Nobody really no. realizes what Independence is except for Sam Adams, Budweiser, and the ocean. That's what I was told by a couple of my neighbors. So I was oh, like, okay, wow. now we know. Now well, we know. You know I, what I mean? It's I like, okay. My, <laughs> I enjoyed my temporary independence from the little people. So, um, my yeah. oldest is, well, I'm actually real. So, yeah, so mommy slept for some independence. I got a mommy break. Um, no, I'm really proud. My oldest child is at Hampton University this week, and she is first time away. So that was a little uh, for everybody. But she's um, participating in a, a science and STEM aviation camp. So I'm very, very proud of her and hope that she really learns a lot this weekend. And the little pe- and the twins are with their dad. So, you know, of course, when when they come back, then they all go to daddy's for a little while. Yay, I'm a teen mommy. But, no, I, uh, I did. I slept after ripping and running up and down the highway, you know, trying to get her to camp and make sure she had everything she needs for her first uh, successful time away from home. And, and, of course, I'll miss her when she's gone, and, you know, her dad misses her. And so, you know, he's calling every week, daddy's little girl. So it's awesome, but... You know, like you said, I, I just I took that time to enjoy my temporary independence and, and just refresh the body and the mind and the spirit and reflect on really what the day means. Now, um, I know everybody, you know, excited. Uh, everybody's excited this weekend, you know, because you get a big celebration. That's great. We all have that 
Um, Troy, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about you, Ryan, last week, so we got a couple minutes here before we get Neil on. So, uh, you know, you're a linebacker. A little bit of what Doug said on here pretty much resonates with pretty much anybody that's played on the defensive side of the ball. You know, you don't want to disappoint the coach. You are a shield to, uh, you know, not have anybody score on you. It's a prideful thing. And to, and to you know, avert from an offense to an offensive threat, uh, that's always very rewarding. It's way a lot, I think, a lot better than, you know, an offensive scoring touchdowns in a lot of ways because it's kind of like resistance at, a, at the highest level. And most people don't like defensive football. But, you know, when you see a great defensive game, uh, you can acknowledge the fact that, you know, there's a lot of, lot of thought process through it, a lot of stuff to defend. There's a lot of gaps that you have to cover. So, uh, you know, to me it's kind of like, you know, uh, he said he named the defense after him technically because that was his number. But he didn't take a, you know, uh, he didn't come up and say, I'm really proud of that because technically the defense was named as a whole. So I think on on the defensive side of the ball, you really take more ownership of the fact that you're a team uh, with one goal to stop, you know, scoring versus an offensive threat. Sometimes you can get prima donnas on the offensive side of the ball. Well, a couple of things. Um, the one thing that you heard uh, Doug Plank allude to was was Buddy Ryan saying, do your job. And I know there's been a big push about that back in 2000. At the end of the 2014 season with uh, one Bill Belichick, and then you, you hear that, do your job. And that's basically what it comes down to with defensive football. You have to play your – you have to do your job. One guy that doesn't do his job, the whole defense breaks down. And I think what Buddy Ryan is is that that guy, he what he conveyed as, as a leader of men is is the importance of doing your job. That's what leaders do. You know, with that military background, it is no wonder that his team, you know, the players on his team would would kill for this guy. I mean, that that was you know that was their guy. If you played for him, you loved the guy. I mean, if you played on his defense. He didn't always get along with the offensive guys, especially offensive coaches. And, you know, I think that's the main thing that people want to uh, go back on when he, you know, punched Kevin Gilbride on the sideline when he was that, you know, his first year in, in Houston as a defensive coordinator. And uh, also his, his feuds in, in Chicago. Um, so, I mean, most people want to, they, they want to go back to that. But the one thing that you knew when you had Buddy Ryan coming in there was that your defense is going to be stout and these guys are going to be flying around. He could flat out game plan better than, than, than anyone. I mean, this guy, he was just, he was just absolutely great. Now me being a Redskins fan, I hated the guy. I hated his guts. I did. He was a Philadelphia Eagles head coach. Uh, he also had two years in Arizona. I, I hated him. But you also respected it. When you knew when Buddy Ryan's teams were coming in there, that they were going to hit, they were going to fly around, they were going to knock people out. That's what they did. They were rough and they were tumbling, and you respected that. So that's the one thing that, that really sticks out for me with Buddy Ryan. It's not all the antics on the sidelines and, and you know, feuding with Mike Ditka and, and all of that stuff. Is that the guy could flat out game plan. He was just a, a fantastic coordinator. And he was an absolute genius when it comes down to it. And not to mention, you would be remiss not to say that he passed that knowledge on down to his two sons, who are also coaching in the NFL, both of them for the Buffalo Bills right now. And Keishi, any thoughts on Buddy Ryan? 
I agree with almost everything that Troy said, especially the part in what you said about defense. You know, you had to respect him. And I think you guys already know how I feel about Rex Ryan. I just think Rex Ryan is just the cat's meow. I'm sorry, but I love Rex Ryan. I love his bravado. I love his swagger. But most importantly, I love his confidence. And I think that, you know, he tries to bring a lot of that temperament of his father's. I don't think he has quite the same militaristic style control, you know, um, that Buddy had, but he definitely had, is trying to bring a lot of that to his teens. And you hear that, too, about, you know, both the Ryan brothers, that guys love playing for them. You know, and I think that they definitely have um, picked that up from their father. And, and, again, defenses do win championships, and I think that he proved that with what he put on the field. And then I think that it was definitely clear his impact on the game of football, and he will greatly be missed. Yeah, and I think the reality is he's already made a statement. History-wise, the team was a very good team. Um, it hasn't produced any real coaches, per se, except for Singletary at this point. But, you know, you don't expect that to come out of that like that. But reality is, you know, it's, it is ranked as probably the best defense of all time. So you got to give him credit to that. Um, his son well, he, he did, uh, trying to live he, up Ron, to that. It's going to be tough. Ron Rivera did play for that team. Don't forget that. Ron Rivera was on that team. No, Ron I know. That. Team. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. It's like uh, – but there's not that many in terms of success, in other words, pedigree-wise yet. Uh, but you got Ron who went to the finals, and you had Singletary before that as a coaching, you know. But, um, but overall, I think the the nucleus of the team uh, is, like you said, Troy, it, it was just a tit, you know, real net team that really wanted to, you know, be successful, but at the same time wanted to make their coach really, uh, really happy uh, to do their thing. So um, let's bring in Neil here. Uh, we're going to be talking WFA, IWFL, Final Four. So this is it. This is sort of like the prelude to the Super Bowl, um, and it's getting closer and closer. Last weekend we talked to uh, Tracy Day and uh, Boston without legendary quarterback Ashley Cahill. Uh, surprises Chicago, 17-13, to 13, and nobody thought that was going to happen, but it did happen. So now we have Boston against D.C., so let's bring uh, Neil uh, Rosenthal into the No Joke Football Huddle. No Joke Football Huddle sponsored by Zazzle.com. You can get 25% off tonight till midnight on everything at the shop at Zazzle.com forward slash Great Iron Beauties. So, Neil, let's, uh, let's see here. Let's talk DC Divas. Let's talk DC Divas first. Let's go into that. Um, how are you doing this 4th of July? And uh, did you uh, grub too as well? Yeah, how you doing, Oscar? It's uh, it's good to be back off the the long holiday weekend, and it's uh, conference championship week, so it's an exciting week. Now, Neil, uh, nobody expected Boston to be here, sort of, uh, but uh, like you said before, that's why they play the games, and it turns out that uh, Smith and company, um, you know, edge Chicago. We talked to Tracy last week, and uh, they said they were ready. But they made some mistakes, and that's that's how the end result is. Some mistakes here and there, and you end up at the end of the at the end of the day. Time is the enemy, so uh, that's really what I think boiled down in Chicago. They they made some errors, and then the time clock was against them, 
and Boston took advantage as a, a veteran team that they are. So uh, are you surprised that they're here against D.C., or this, just, this is just wasn't so much of a surprise? Because everybody assumes that this is a surprise because we, we didn't have uh, Allison at, at the helm. Oh, there's no question. I think it was it was a shocker. It was a stunner. And uh, you know, of course, I I uh, I had said on on my last appearance here that uh, I expected uh, Chicago to be the favorite, which you know I think was a was a pretty natural assumption given how uh, the 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 two teams played in week week eight, and uh, Chicago ripped off fifty something straight unanswered points uh, in Boston, and so. You really didn't expect uh, Boston to, you know, to bounce back the way that they did. It was an it was an absolutely incredible victory for Boston, and you know, it was it was it was really an, an epic win for the Boston Renegades. I think when you when you start looking at at that game and, and really analyzing it, I think uh, uh, it's easy to start talking about how Boston has revamped without Cahill and so forth. But you really have to start with the defense. I mean, Boston didn't beat Chicago 48-42 to with some sort of fancy, new, tricky offense. They were able to – they said, all right, you don't have Cahill at quarterback. We're going to have uh, – we're going to have to change our identity. And, and really, they, they came out and they played a field position game. They played a tough, tough defensive game. Uh, the stunning part was not Boston uh, scoring 17 points against Chicago – it was the fact that Boston's defense held Chicago to 13 points over the course of the game. This in offense, a Chicago offense that had racked up just a ton of points. Uh, the Divas had, had been able to beat Chicago in the regular season, eked out a 41-34 victory, and I think that's how a lot of people figured if you're going to beat Chicago, that's the way to beat them. But uh, uh, for Boston to walk into Chicago defensively and hold that uh, – Chicago Force offense to 13 points, and and look, the Chicago Force didn't have uh, Cassie Brick. She wasn't she wasn't playing in that game. She was actually out in California at the time with some some other business, so uh, she wasn't there. And she is uh, obviously a huge playmaker for Chicago. But take nothing away from Boston's defense. I mean, she Brick didn't play for Chicago for their first uh, four you know first four games for the Chicago Force, and the Force still rolled a bunch of teams uh, by by 50, 60 points. So. You know, you gotta, for, for Boston, we have to give credit. To that, it was incredible. We got to give credit to that line: uh, uh, Alexis Billard, uh, Brooke Goodman, Aaron Diere, Mocha Torres, Laura Pula, uh, Nicole Bolter. Uh, I mean, just just you can you can pretty much name of all of them up there. Uh, they created a pretty solid wall for them to just hold Chicago to 13 points. Uh, that was that was pretty impressive. Very impressive. Absolutely, absolutely. And you said that too. You know, it's the veteran leadership. I don't think that a team that's that's maybe uh, in one of its first or second playoff appearances really has the experience to be able to handle what Cahill's injury uh, uh, did to Boston. They they have been able to coalesce, rally rally together, and again, I think the defense and the special teams kind of get overlooked. Uh, but then offensively, what they were what they've been able to do. Listen, Whitney Zealy at running back is not in 2013 form. And I say that carefully because, of course, you know, I, I work with the front office of the D.C. Divas and they're getting ready to play Boston. But the reality is, I mean, Whitney Zealy physically has had a couple of injuries. I don't think she's back, 
you know, and, and hopefully I'm not jinxing anything, but the reality is I don't think she has a whole lot of seven touchdown games left in her for the rest of the season. Uh, maybe she does, but uh, if if so, the Divas have bigger problems. But, uh, you know, I, I can tell you the, to, she's not Neil, back to the 3,000-yard season-type rusher, no. rusher that she was in 2013. But what she did against I bet Chicago I can tell you was, from, you know, she – she got 16 carries. I can tell you from Tracy Day's assessment. She can, she's from Tracy very, Day's very assessment. Um, I can tell you from Tracy Day's assessment. Um, she was she was an impact player on that game, uh, for sure oh, in the run question. game. Without so question. a, ba- a balanced offensive attack, I think, it helped out. Yeah, she. I mean, she didn't. She didn't like. My point is, whatever percentage you want to put to it, easily health wise, she didn't forget how to play the game of football. She's still a very, very good running back, and and Shante Bond's a quarterback as well. She's a different, maybe a little bit different uh, style quarterback than than Cahill. But uh, uh, if you allow her to get comfortable back there on Boston's game-winning drive, uh, essentially where they got the touchdown that that put them ahead with with four minutes to go. You know, Bonds completed something like five or six passes on that drive and picked up a couple of first downs passing. She's very capable back there and and, and very athletic if you allow her to get comfortable in the pocket. So, uh, you know, again, it's not a high-flying, high-scoring Boston offense, but they can get their points if their defense can keep them in the game. And, and, you know, they, they executed a game plan against Chicago that was absolutely masterful and really came out with uh, – with, with with a really incredible win for the Renegades, given that Cahill went down against Chicago and Chicago really ended her season. For the Renegades to then turn around and essentially end Chicago's season is uh is is it's it's just it's really a remarkable turnaround. The uh Shante Shante Bonds and um uh, Whitney Zeely focus for this weekend would be on the D C Divas mindset I presume because if you take their defense at heart, you know that they will come. But offensively, we had question marks, and now it starts to. Now we start to see maybe uh, more of a mobile quarterback than Cahill was, more of a pocket quarterback. Me, being that um, Shante is more of a runner type uh, player, so the opportunities there for gap opportunities for the run, so containment there on the DC Divas uh, side of the ball is going to be huge because uh, even though Zeely, uh, like you said, is probably not up to 100% in par, still effective on certain key downs. So I think that's where the you know the the bonuses for Boston will be. Um, Troy seventeen thirteen and Neil's gone alluded to it, but you know as a linebacker you hold a high offensive unit to thirteen points over almost three and a half quarters, and and then you, when you hold them like that, time of containment you know time of possession becomes a big huge F, uh, you know factor. So I think Chicago that's where the problem was at some point. Chicago lost track of the fact that they needed to, you know, um, do their thing. And unfortunately uh, the Boston defense just decided that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And not, and not to mention when, when you, whenever you have a situation like that, you're also going to have what you call momentum. Now, most people think of momentum, you know, some people don't even believe in that, but the, the momentum really comes from confidence in one team that they're executing correctly. So when your team is starting to execute, that starts to become, you know, contagious. And so all of a sudden now a team who is not really known for their defense or and, and they're playing well against a team who is known to be a high-powered offense, they're starting to, you know, say to themselves, hey, listen, we might be able to take this. Even though we're down our starting quarterback 
and they have this high-powered offense, well, they haven't scored much today, man. We can we can really take this game. And so the the longer it took for Chicago to get on track, the more confidence um, the more confidence uh, Boston got, man. Neil, yeah, DC, I mean, that's, yeah, that's absolutely you know, DC's right. got Hamlin now as a key as a key unit. But um, where do you think uh, you know you got Goldsmith on the other side? You got a lot of playmakers on, on the DC side. Not to take away from Boston, but uh, I I just think this is going to be another dogfight, like it was in the last second touchdown win in Boston. So uh, it's going to be a good one, I think. Oh, without question, uh, the DC Boston games are. Are always intense. It's always a, it's it's always a big rivalry. I, I think clearly the elephant in the room is the fact that the Divas uh, beat Boston uh, in Week Ten in 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 DC something like fifty five to seven. But uh, but then when you think about it, you know two weeks before that Chicago blew Boston out as well, and that didn't stop Boston from from walking into Chicago and beating them in the playoffs. So now you know as, as Troy alluded to. Uh, when you when when a team has that kind of confidence, there you know if 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 Boston can reverse their fortunes that kind of way against Chicago, there's no question that they feel they can do the exact same thing against uh, the DC Divas, and it's a rivalry where the two teams do know each other very very well. I think from the from the Divas perspective, in terms of motivation, I mean not only do you have clearly the uh, uh, the the opportunity that the Divas want to present to themselves. Uh, to potentially repeat in the WFA. I've mentioned this before, but not only has no team ever repeated uh, as, as champions in the WFA, but no de- no defending champion, no team that has won the WFA championship has been able to get back to the championship game the following year. And uh, they, you know, for the Divas, that's really their big challenge to to get back to Pittsburgh. And and with this Boston team, you you look at DC, Boston, the history of that rivalry. The Divas were able to win the national championship last year in the WFA, but really the one thing that that they lacked in that was an opportunity to beat Boston. Because if you recall, the Divas were bounced out of the playoffs five years in a row by Boston by the Boston Militia from 2010 to 2014. The Divas lost in the playoffs five years in a row, which is unprecedented in women's football history for a team to get bounced out of the playoffs five years in a row by the same opponent. And even though the Divas won the championship last year, they didn't play Boston. Boston was actually knocked out in a conference semifinal by the Chicago Force. Um, and so for the Divas, they, they understand, listen, we've lost to this Boston team the last five times we've played them in the playoffs. So the, the Divas are going to come in with that kind of motivation of saying, listen, you know, we've lost to these guys before. There, there's no question that the D.C. Divas uh, are not going to take the Boston Renegades lightly, in particular because, you know, the nature of the rivalry in these two teams are so, uh, uh, you know, the, the rivalry is so heated between these two. So it's going to be a fantastic game, and, and there really are a lot of talented playmakers on both sides of the ball for both teams, and, and it should be a lot of fun. Now, on the west side, uh, we have the battle. Um, and Troy and, and Keisha and me, we obviously talked to uh, Odessa at the beginning of the year. And guess what? Odessa, Odessa's elite is in full form, ready to go. <laughs> uh, no surprise there. Um, boy, are they ready to go? I mean, they're like they're they're almost as bad as that Midwestern storm. You know what I mean? It just things have just come in <laughs> through that. Um, 
just I mean Kansas City did not even you know come close in the second time around, and we knew it was going to happen that way. Um, the War Angels on the other side, same thing with the Pacific Warriors. We talked about that. So uh, Chantel Wiggins against uh, Mrs. Gerhardt and Jenkins. Um, I I don't know if the War Angels have enough to even stay in in a contention mode. I mean, but I'm not going to rule them out yet. I mean, they they play tough, um, but this is going to be tough. Th- this would be an upset of upsets if the Cal War Angels somehow managed to uh, take down Dallas. Um, so it, this is a more uh, more interesting game than anything because you got a two uh, power, high-powered offenses. You got Wiggins, King, um, you know Jarborough. On the other side, you got you know uh, uh, Bobo, uh, Britson, Jenkins, Laundry. I mean, it, it, it's, it's it's you know Jessica Gerhardt. But but you got playmakers on both sides of the ball, and uh, um, it, it would it would be kind of a big deal if Central Cal somehow uh, upsets Dallas. Which at this point, if if Odessa is probably listening, she's probably thinking of us as crazy or something. But that's a, that's the setup here in the West. So uh, um, Troy, I'll, I'll send it to you before I send it to Neil. Troy, uh, Central Cal hasn't played this team. Dallas hasn't played this team. Basically, this is the first matchup, but this is for all the marbles. Win, you're in to the national championship. If you don't, you're done. It's 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 pretty pretty intense. Well, I will say this: they Dallas has steamrolled everyone, absolutely everyone. I mean, they look like you know the unstoppable force there. But with Central Cal, I mean, you also have to take a look at. This team, they may not have had the same, you know, played the same uh, teams up to their same caliber. I mean, because remember, Dallas Elite did play DC Divas, and the DC Divas are, as you can see, they're they're a rare, they're a great team, and they handled them pretty well. You know, I watched that one, and even those in the beginning of the season, I mean, you just saw like Dallas what they did was they turned on the gas and they did not let up in that second half. And Central Cal is also undefeated. And as you can see, that they score a lot of points. They have 439 points this year. They only allow 26, so their defense is pretty stout. I don't know if they've seen the team, the caliber of Dallas. So that's what you worry about. Are they going to be able to hold up to that attack? I think it's going to actually be a better game than most people give it uh, give it credence to. So I'm going to say it's going to be a tight game, but I do think Dallas is going to pull it up. Neil, what do you think? Yeah, I I, I I tend to agree with Troy that uh, I think there are a lot of people who are probably dismissing Central Cal uh, a little bit too quickly. I think Central Cal's had a fantastic season out on the West Coast, and there, you don't have a lot of comparisons between West Coast competition and Midwest competition. I do think Dallas has played uh, a little bit tougher of a, of a schedule, having played teams like Kansas City and obviously uh, the, early, the early season interconference matchup uh, with the DC Divas, but Central Cal is is is, is a talented team, and I, I just when I look at this game, I always think back to last year, where you know the San Diego Surge uh, went out to Texas to play the Dallas Elite in last year's Western Conference Championship game, and that was a game that was I'm pretty sure that was the 28-28 game going into the fourth quarter. After three quarters, I believe it was 28-28, and then uh, 
the Dallas Elite put on the gas, scored four touchdowns in the fourth, and and won rather easily, uh, 56 to 28. But uh, can Central Cal put on that kind of a performance? It would not surprise me if at some point in the second half this game was somewhat reasonably close. I do think Central Cal is a very, very talented team, uh, particularly offensively. And uh, I think, you know, they have the potential to maybe be able to put up some points and, and keep this game close. Now, when you're talking about Dallas, as, as Troy mentioned, when they put the gas on, and particularly in the second half, uh, they can make the final margin look pretty lopsided at the end of the day because they have such an explosive offense and, and obviously they can close it out. So this is one of those games that honestly it would not shock me if Dallas won by a fairly convincing score on the scoreboard, but where you could say actually, you know what, they gave them more of a battle maybe uh, certainly than most teams on their schedule. This is a good Central Cal team. I do think Dallas, the Dallas leader are, are just – operating at another level right now. But I, I, I wouldn't disrespect Central Cal to think that they couldn't keep this a game at least for a while. But, you know, again, the Dallas leader, the number one team in the country, there's a reason. They, they, they look fantastic. And certainly at home in that Texas heat and, and against the Central Cal team that, that isn't huge in terms of roster numbers, I think most people figure that uh, – uh, Dallas will be able to put it on and, and, and pull away with it. But uh, it should be a good game. I mean, it should be a really, really fun game to watch. And, and, and I think it could be competitive for a while, but but uh, clearly Dallas is favored and, and for good reason. Now, I know, I know the heat's an issue, but, they you know, this Central Cal team's out of Fresno, so I don't know if that's going to be such a huge factor. But, <laughs> that's very true. You know, talented, you know, talented-wise, I mean, I think you have – you still have, uh, you know, uh, gold medalist Aspen Marshall on this squad – you got some, uh, you know, Jasmine Marby, pretty good tacklers, uh, Jeanette Jimenez. Um, so you got some key players on here, Madison uh, Gagner on tackles and receiving. You got King on receiving yards. Um, you got the, uh, you know, Destiny Jarbro, which is, she's just a beast also uh, on the gaps. So, um, you know, it, 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 the combination's there to stay competitive. But uh, number one versus number two out of Massey. And you can't say that's mm-hmm. wrong because that's right on target. Yeah, the two remaining undefeated teams in the uh, in, in the top division of the WFA. So absolutely, and and I, I don't think the Heat will necessarily bother them as much as you know Dallas. It's, it's a huge advantage for Dallas to be playing at home because, I mean, the reality is is once you talk about traveling halfway across the country uh, for one of these games, whereas you know the other team is is going to be sleeping soundly in their beds the night before the game, it's 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 a benefit. There's no question. But, uh, again, Dallas has earned that as the number one ranked team in the nation. And, um, and, and again, I don't think uh, Central Cal should be completely dismissed out of hand. They've had a great season out on the West Coast. They're clearly, without question, the top team on the West Coast and the team most worthy in the West of challenging Dallas for, uh, for this Western Conference Championship game. These are the two teams in the West you wanted to see. Uh, Dallas is the number one ranked team and, and favored for a reason. But, uh but I think it should be a good and competitive game, which I think is good for the sport. And Keisha, you got any any thoughts on this on these four uh, on these two last two games? And Keisha, are you there? Oh, can you guys hear me? I don't know if she dropped off. Nope, yeah, can you hear me? we can hear you. Do you have any thoughts on the okay. the final four here uh, that we're talking about? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the points that we have discussed um, all season long was competitiveness. And I think that what's really um, elevating the games this year is the fact that you have got the competition and you actually are looking forward to the games. We're not talking about blowouts for the first time in a long time. We're not talking about, you know, games where we are uh, going to see these lopsided scores. And I agree with it. I definitely think that this is going to be a close game. It's going to be a tight game. I think Dallas definitely comes out on top. Uh, like Troy said, we literally watched them come out on the field as one team in the first half of their game against the Renegades. And what whoever that was that came out of the locker room in the second half came to make a statement and make a statement they did. I also wanted to say that as far as the uh, Boston Renegades, they have said from the beginning that this is a team in rebuilding. This is a team that is trying to get back to their top status when they were the Boston Militia, and they are trying to revitalize that, uh, those, that, those glory years, for lack of a better term, and that they really and truly want people to know that just because the name has changed, the game hasn't. And I think that that's the statement that they've been trying to make all year is that, you know, We've made some changes, you know, where we've gone through some hits, especially losing the quarterback. But I think that, you know, people kind of have forgotten who they were, and they're definitely coming back to make a statement. And I think the fact that they were um, able to play the D.C. Divas the way they did in the third game, you know, with a 35-32 to 32 score, you know, that should have spoke volumes there that they were coming to – when they come to challenge the uh, the championship-winning team, and you – hold them down that close, this is a team that was going to make a statement. So Neil, on in the in the tier two in the tier two matchups, we are looking at the surprising Philadelphia Phantoms, who uh I think probably the Cinderella team of the whole season. Um you're taking Philly versus Tampa Bay, which Tampa kind of the equivalent of, of Dallas in the tier two sense. Um, they take they they beat Alabama 50 to 12. Uh, the Phantoms uh, more competitive game versus Columbus 20 to 14. So they're a little bit more battle tested. They played against DC. They also played against Boston. Um, so they you know they played more of a tier one setup. So uh, in that sense, uh, are we giving the Inferno the win here, or are we, do we think uh, Philly is going to put up a fight? Yeah, the Philadelphia-Tampa game is actually really a compelling one because it's the only one of the four matchups in the WFA uh, this this weekend where the road team is actually favored. Uh, Tampa actually is favored in Massey over uh, the home team in Philadelphia, uh, largely due to that uh, impressive win that, that Tampa did have uh, against the Alabama Fire. Remember coming into that game in, in, in the conference semifinal, the Alabama Fire had really put up, um, in a lot of ways, uh, sort of uh, uh, fantasy football-type numbers. They had they had put up uh, some really impressive-looking stats, and the Tampa Bay Inferno handled them and handled them pretty easily. I, again, I think with Tampa, they're an interesting team because I would think, and I haven't heard much from Tampa uh, or any Tampa players or, or any anything uh, online really too much from them, but... When you look at Tampa, they are they're the only undefeated team in the second division and one of only three undefeated teams in the entire WFA uh, still remaining. Uh 
along with Central Cal and Dallas, uh, obviously in the top tier. You know, you for for Tampa, they're they're just one of these teams who just kind of just sneaking along, and and nobody's beating them. And I think a lot of people are are sort of waiting for, well, is it going to be Alabama? Now is it going to be Philadelphia? And and Philadelphia does have a great team, and and in particular, what you mentioned before about the type of schedule that they had, that they've played. I really do think, if anything, that is what what tips me more toward Philadelphia is the fact that they've played such a tough schedule and they are battle tested in that sense. But at the same time, you know, for Tampa to, to be sitting here undefeated and a lot of people maybe not giving them as, as much of a chance. I, I think Tampa is going to make this a, a really, really interesting game. And they, you know, this, this game in particular, Tampa and Philadelphia should be, should be a really, really close and entertaining game. I, I, I think Tampa, it's hard to tell because anytime these teams from the Southeast go north, uh, they tend to struggle a little bit more. But Tampa has put together as good a resume in the Southeast as you can possibly put together. Maybe the best team in the Southeast in the WFA, regardless of tier, regardless of a league, they might be the best team in the Southeast. So uh, uh, this is going to be a real test in my mind for the entire Southeast in terms of can they go up there, can they beat Philadelphia, and can they make it to the Tier 2 national title game? Now, looking at the, looking at the way Tampa has, has basically steamrolled through their schedule, I mean, I, I definitely agree with the same thing. Um, they, they surprised me how they came out against Alabama, who was also – uh, undefeated at that point, and I, I was surprised at that. But then again, back to strength of schedule, I think Philadelphia has played a, strong, a bit of a stronger schedule. Uh, their competition has been a little bit more, so they may be a little bit more battle-tested. But there's that confidence that comes in also Tampa Bay where they're not used to losing. So what they are used to doing is winning and finding a way to win. And I think that's what they did, you know, against Alabama, and they came out, you know, and – you know they dropped they dropped some big numbers on 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 a pretty good Alabama team, so I don't know man I'm 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 looking forward to I'm, I'm thinking I'm going with Tampa Bay, I think Tampa Bay is going to take it I think they they're they're going to actually travel up north, and I think they're going to beat Philadelphia. Now Philly uh, to both of you guys' point Philly played the tougher schedule with Tier One which is I think they played Boston twice they played the Divas and then Columbus. So uh, in in all those matchups, they were able to only put up 24 points, which is they held, you know, uh, the teams to I think 54 against the Renegades, 40 against the Renegades, uh, 68. So uh, Troy, I guess I'm with you because I, I really think the Inferno isn't coming to Philly to lose, <laughs> and not after getting this far. So I, I I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to be on all cylinders. I'm going to jump in with you guys, and I'm going to agree, and I'm going to go uh, with the Inferno. Um, this has been really interesting just watching and, you know, acclimating to this new uh, tier system in terms of trying to, you know, keep up with how the teams are ranked. But one thing's definitely been for sure is that having the teams ranked in this system does allow some of the uh, newer, younger, maybe not as strong teams the opportunity to still kind of play against some of the better, stronger veteran teams 
in the process and in the attempts of strengthening and improving their game. And I think that what we're really going to see this weekend is some tough, great football. Yeah, and Tampa Bay has been known to uh, have a great defense, not necessarily – I think the the defense complements the offense. I really think that's what it boils down to because when you look at their numbers, um, most of their rushing yards – and obviously this is stuff that's being reported – the rushing yards usually come uh, about with uh, a defensive uh, a defensive stand. So if you look at their numbers, you have Rosalie Hammond over 30 something 35 tackles. You got Denisha Monty over 30 tackles. You got Jennifer Tweeters over 25 tackles. I mean, if you look at their defensive uh, numbers and you look at the tackles for loss in their stat sheet, and then you look at their actual final scoring in terms of what they've been able to hold teams to at this point. We're looking at an average of maybe 20 points or less. So that's, got a, that's the sign right there. I mean, we were talking about Buddy Ryan earlier today, so I think we're overlooking the Inferno defense so much that uh, I think the points on offensively come from the defensive play. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you, you, you know, that's one of the factors that you really don't see unless, you know, you're, you're actually paying attention to the, the in-depth numbers. So there are some teams that can, that can score points with their defense. And if that Inferno team can do that up in Philadelphia, it bodes well for them. So, Neil, that's a, that's the same thing that we were talking about. The fact that you know uh, we don't take a look at that as often, but I mean, and with this point, we're amazed at the points that they score. But when I start looking at the reported you know defensive stats, I, I really see that uh, this team is built more on the defensive side of things because short field position, turn the ball over on downs. In a short yardage position, what does your offenses do? It doesn't take much. Maybe one or two downs, big play, and you're in the end zone. And I really think that's 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 really the uh, recipe for the Inferno right now. So uh, Philadelphia's going to have their challenges on a defensive end because when they played the Tier 1 teams, all Tier 1 teams basically scored over 50 points. And if you know, given the fact that they're pretty good defenses in Tier 1 also, um, so I'm 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 going with every, I'm going with everybody's assessment. I think Tampa Bay should win this handling, maybe one or two touchdowns. Yeah, it's important to note that uh, Tampa Bay does have the uh, the number one ranked and the number one scoring defense uh, in in WFA 2, in the second tier of the WFA. This is uh, Tampa is, I mean, they're holding their opponents to, to under 10 points a game, and that's really how they, they make their mark is on the defensive end. So, you know, uh, the one thing I will say about Philadelphia, having played the Columbus Comets, they won that game, 20 to 14. They can they can play the defensive game and 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 win that, and they've shown that in the last round of the playoffs, they can win that kind of a low scoring game. But you almost wonder if that's the kind of game that they're going to have to try to win, given how how strong Tampa is uh, uh, defensively. Um, is that the kind of, of, of game that they're going to have to go in to try to play? Because, you know, putting, you know, 50, 60 points on, on, on some of these defenses starts to get a little, little bit tougher come playoff time uh, uh, when you're talking about some of the highly ranked defenses. So it'll definitely be a, be a fun one to watch. And, and, and like I say, uh, I've seen a Philadelphia up, up close and personal because they did play the D.C. Divas. And they played very, very respectably. They've got a lot of very good playmakers. Halftime of that game, that, that game was still up uh, in the air. I think it was a one-score game at halftime. So this is a Philadelphia team that can, that can rise to the occasion 
but at the same time, you know, this is this is going to be a really, really tough defense that they're facing. So they're going to have to find a way to put some points up and uh, and, and, and maybe win that in the same type of style that they won with in the last round against the Columbus Comets. Troy, the um, the St. Louis Slam basically slammed the Houston Power fifty three to zero in their in their playoff game, which which Houston we talked about should not even been there because of the division breakdown. Technically, Houston shouldn't have never even showed up for that game. Um, not you know not disrespect to the Power, but reality is it's a, it's a fifty three to zero slam. Um, Sin City has proven that they 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 can play with the big dogs out west with the Warriors and the Cal War Angels. Um, so I think we're looking for the Trojans here um, to put a battle up, and I'm, I don't know if the Slam is going to be surprised. That's my analogy right now. I'm looking at Sin City. I agree. Uh, I think Sin City, um, again, I'm looking at battle-tested teams. I want to see teams that, that have been through it and acquitted themselves well against the best competition. So I think that 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 spells out what Sin City has done this year. So I'm looking forward to uh, seeing them win the game. So Neil, uh, Neil, I think the Trojans, because they're in the West, for me, can put up a better fight against the Slam. Not take anything away from the Slam at this point, but I, I really think this is, this is going to be a dog fight. Uh, who who wants to move on is really going to be the focus here. Uh, the Slam coming back. You know, with their new squad here, uh, new you know coming back to with good resurgence, um, they've played a good game so far. I mean, the the gauge against Houston, it's it really wasn't even a test. So they've got two weeks, almost three weeks of rest. Um, I you know I know if that's going to be beneficial to them or not, but um, I think Sin City, uh, based on their schedule that they had, that they edged mile high by four points. So if you take that into account. Uh, to Troy's point, I think they're really a bit more battle-tested, so I don't know if they'll surprise the slam. Yeah, this is another really really entertaining and, and, and interesting matchup. Uh, I, I'll i tend to play a little bit of, of, of devil's advocate, and I actually think St. Louis uh, – uh, is 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 the favorite in this game, and I like the way that St. Louis has has set up for this. St. Louis St. Louis Slam are kind of an interesting team. They were one of those teams when the WFA announced their tier system that I looked at them and I said, uh, "What tier are they going to be in?" Because realistically, they could have just as easily been in tier one as as they wound up in tier two. And in fact, when you look at uh, a couple of games that they lost. They're both the tier one teams uh, in the Chicago Force and and the Kansas City Titans. But what what really surprised me about the St. Louis Slam was in their regular season finale how they you know at home were able to completely blank the uh, the Kansas City Titans 32 to nothing. And that to me is was uh, the one that turned my head where I was I I didn't quite expect that. Not that. St. Louis wasn't capable of winning, but to win that commandingly against a, a Kansas City team that we saw against the Dallas Elite is, is a good Kansas City team. You know, I, I mean, they've got talent on that team. When, you know, the St. Louis Slam, obviously playing the Houston Power in the last round, that was a layup. That was not a competitive game. It was sort of a the result of scheduling and, and those kinds of things happened. St. Louis did what they were supposed to do against Houston. Uh, the, the Sin City Trojans—they're gonna—they're gonna—they're gonna play tough. 
I mean, they're they're the uh, ex Las Vegas Showgirls, so they've got a lot of players uh, on that team who've who've got some experience in these types of games, and they would love an opportunity uh, to get to a, a national championship type stage where uh, Las Vegas hasn't quite been able to get to uh, for some time, but. You know, once again, traveling halfway across the country, I think is a huge advantage for a team like St. Louis when uh, Las Vegas has to go out to play them as opposed to vice versa. And uh, I actually think St. Louis, I expect Sin City to, to, to give them a game, but uh, I, I like uh, St. Louis's chances in this one just in from what I've seen from them. Not necessarily how they performed against Houston, but how they performed in that final regular season game against Kansas City. If if they bring anything close to that type of an effort uh, against Kansas City, I think they're going to be a very, very difficult team for Sin City to deal with. I agree. Um, and Kishi, anything to add to it? I actually am going to play devil's advocate, and I'm actually going for Sin City. And I'm going to tell you why. is because of exactly what Neil said about the, um, you know, the history of the team, but also the fact that they – could have easily been a tier one team. And I think that if anything, Mm -hmm. that this is a group of ladies who are fighting to get to the national championship because they want to prove that they do belong in the tier one level. And I think that they're they're looking to move up and that they're definitely trying to make a statement and let everyone know that they are just as good as the other tier one teams and that that's where they belong. Well, Well, I'll just say too, on on, on that point, that when you look at, well, I just wanted to say on that point, just I think it's important when you look at the Final Four, actually, in WFA Tier 2, Sin City, St. Louis, Philadelphia, and Tampa Bay. These are all four teams that I think would be solid candidates for potential promotion to WFA 1 next year, and just in terms of their overall competitiveness against Tier 1 teams. They've all sort of done that, and again, We'll have to wait until this offseason to see how that sort of promotion and relegation type of system and, and outcome is, is, is going to be implemented in terms of fluidity between the two tiers year to year. But those are four teams that I, I think all of them uh, could be competitive with, with the low to mid uh, WFA1 teams, and, and, and there's no reason going forward that any of those four couldn't potentially elevate to the next level uh, organizationally as well as on the field. Hey, Neil, I had a question now, about if they that, do as a it, matter of fact. Uh, how does that process work? I mean, is there is there a vote amongst the committee, or how, how does that work? Because, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you, and that was the one thing, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, the, the strength of competition, and, and I was saying to myself, okay, Philadelphia's counted as a Tier 2 team, but they're playing Tier 1 teams, and they went 5-3 and three and made it to the postseason that should bode well for them to move up. But how does that process work as far as them getting promoted to that position? Well, to my knowledge, uh, uh, and this being the first year of the tier system, that that hasn't, there, there isn't uh, any sort of formal process for that yet, or at least it hasn't been articulated publicly. I don't know if it will be a formal process or if it will just sort of be uh, sort of informal in terms of approaching the teams themselves. I've always been a fan of, the idea of particularly if you win and you get to a championship game, um, you know, if you get to the WFA two championship game, you know, I, I my my main goal is I, I I would hate to see a team just try to try to rip off two three championships or two three championship game appearances in tier two 
when they could actually be competitive in Tier 1, and then you have teams that are maybe third or fourth in Tier 2 that are constantly now getting blocked behind, you know, a budding dynasty in Tier 2, when the reality is is that team could just as easily be playing in Tier 1. I would like to see some year-to-year fluidity amongst it. I would like to see, okay, you know, you made it to the championship game. Go, you know, try it in WFA 1 for a year and compete, and there you go, and then, you know, have the opportunity to be relegated back down, if, you know, uh, particularly if you choose to be. I think it's probably punitive to say, you know, you have to necessarily get relegated. But I, I think that that also depends on what the willingness is of teams to step on, you know. So there isn't any, any declared formal process for it. It will be interesting to see how the league handles it, uh, that particular situation going forward. I don't know if you want a formal system or not, but uh, again, I think long-term, my hope would be that uh, we don't necessarily have teams trying to establish dynasties in WFA 2 so much as if you do well in WFA 2, take a step up, even if for a year, to see how you'd fare on, on, in the top division and then let another, you know, let other teams maybe try to grow at WFA 2 and then maybe you come back down and, 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 and switch it around that way. I think that actually would be a lot better in terms of the long-term growth of the sport and letting uh, a lot of teams have opportunities to compete at, at, at different levels. I absolutely agree, now, Neil, Neil. And I also think that if you have a team that's consistently being blown out at the Tier 1 level and you're consistently at the bottom of the level, I mean at the bottom of the Tier 1 level, um, you know, again, with those crazy lopsided 40 to something scores or whatever, then maybe after a year or two continually being blown out, then maybe the Tier 1 teams have to face relegation down to a Tier um, 2 level. I would absolutely agree. I agree with that. Absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. I think in Mexico they do it in the FXF Mexico. It's a three-tier system. From what my understanding is, you have to take into account roster first. So, in other words, can you sustain a Tier 1 roster that is necessary to compete at the highest level? Because if you can't sustain the roster level, then the uh, Division 2 roster level is another number. And then the Division 3 roster level is a totally different number. So let's say you got uh, 80-man roster squad for Tier 1, and then you only have a 40-man roster for Tier 2, and then all of a sudden you're at that brink of 30 to 25 in Tier 3. So you're relegated in that sense first based on roster and consistency. Then, uh, from what I understand from the uh, commissioner of the uh, Mexican League, is that at that point you're, you're, you're taken into account in terms of record. So if you win Division Two, for example, which would be Tier 2 here, if you go and win the championship for Tier 2, you are given the option to move up to Tier 1, but the, the commissioner decides which Tier 1 team gets ousted of the top, you know, of the bottom feeder. So they don't have a, a say. So based on record and, and, and end, ending of the league standings, one team will be, um, you know, brought down to the next division, and the division winner from uh, Division 2, which can maintain that roster, will then be bumped up to Division 1 to compete in that division. So a uh, perfect example was the Vikingas this year. Last year they won the Division 2, and then they were given Division 1 status this year, and they went all the way and won the title this year. So that's a perfect example of how an organization can bump themselves up. So Philadelphia, as we're talking about, um, the Inferno, 
Uh, we're talking about even the slam. I mean, that's that's an opportunity for them to do it. The, the fair way is to really assess the organization because if you're not able to con- uh, maintain a roster, even on a smaller market, uh, then maybe it's just more beneficial to stay in Tier 2 until you are able to maintain or acquire that roster because then you don't want to be playing uh, a Tier 1 team that has 50-man roster and all of a sudden you're still Tier 1, but you're only able to maintain 25 players. So that's not fair either, so. Right, and that's one of the reasons why I'm not as big a fan of necessarily a hard process for that because you can imagine something like, you know, if Cahill had had her injury in week two rather than week eight, you know, the Boston Renegades, maybe they struggle to a four and four record or a three and five record given how right. their schedule is, but they're not a tier, they're not a tier two organization. I mean, I think we can all recognize they're not a tier right. two organization necessarily. That's just sort of a, a matter of circumstance. And that's one of the reasons why I'm not a fan of necessarily having a hard rule, particularly for relegation, uh, because sometimes, right, right. you know, you know that organization's not there, but particularly for promotion, I would like to see if you're really having success at, at the tier two level, particularly above and beyond what maybe some lower, uh, some bottom uh, finishing tier one teams are having in your region, you know, to give them the nudge to say, all right, it's time to take a step up at least for a year and, and see how it feels to be right. on that level. Uh, I think that would help, would help grow those organizations as well. Yeah, I think the league will have to decide who gets bumped off of tier one and it has to be very, very bold. You know what I mean? It's got to be very clear that somebody's not competing at the uh, at the utmost level for that tier. Uh, and then the organization would have to sit down with the ownership and really decide that the best method for them is to maybe take a year off on a lower, like you said, on a lower tier, and maybe the uh, lower tier team to go on the higher tier. Um, so, Neil, let's move on to the IWFL and the whole scenario that we had. Uh, we, we talked to Nat Latman of the Houston Wildcats. And so now it's been decided, and we all knew Utah <laughs> was going to do their thing. So Utah <laughs> takes on Austin Yellow Jackets, which were undefeated. And then we have, on the other side, we have the Wildcats are going to take on the Carson, I believe Carson Bobcats, if I'm correct. And then you also have the Atlantic uh, Carolina Phoenix taking on the Madison Blaze. And then you will have... Um, the Vixen, who we talked to last week also, Laura Brown, taking on the New York Sharks. So uh, this is already set. This is it, your final four in the, WF, in the IWFL. So we're looking at a similar situation here with the, within the WFA. Uh, two veteran squads we talked about, the historical perspective here, um, New York taking on Minnesota. And then we have the Falcons, the runner-up last year. And you can pretty much say right now they're the favorite, taking on Austin take on Houston Wildcats, a new team, and then Carson, new team, and then the Staples uh, on the other side, which is Carolina and, and Blaze. So where do you want to start? Oh, you know where I want to start. I want to start with Vixen Sharks. Uh, I'm really, really, really excited for this matchup. Again, the first time these two teams have played since December of 1999. Uh, the two oldest, uh, longest-standing teams uh, still competing in women's football now in their 18th year, uh, getting together really for the e- IWFL Eastern Conference Championship game. Both of these teams uh, notable for having been around for a long time, but uh, both honestly having what I would consider to be a, a resurgent seasons, uh, seasons where you know it's 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 been a while since they've really been at this kind of a level. 
Uh, I think the New York Sharks uh, two years ago, um, when they moved to the IWFL, I really felt like, well, maybe they could get back to this level, but the Pittsburgh Passion moved with them. And they just, you know, the Pittsburgh Passion were just on a different plane, and the Sharks simply couldn't get past them. When the Passion went back to the WFA this year, uh, you thought, okay, maybe this is the opportunity the Sharks needed to get back to the national title game for the first time in in, in really over a decade. And uh, this is their shot, but to do it, they're going to have to go through the Minnesota Vixen, who are, as I've mentioned before, the oldest, longest-running team in women's football, uh, but really haven't necessarily had the most storied history over the years. Uh, some years it's been more about survival than necessarily dominating on the field. But this particular year, uh, the Minnesota Vixen have run the table to this point. I think what's interesting about the game itself in terms of the matchup, uh, the, the matchup I'm really uh, excited to see, uh, Kirsten Hansen, who is uh, the rookie, rookie starting quarterback for the Minnesota Vixen. Having her come in uh, has really kind of helped uh, revitalize the Vixen offense has kind of helped take them to another level. I think she's been one of the real difference makers, uh, top five in the league in passing yards and, and, and really establishing herself as, as one of the uh, top young quarterbacks, even as a rookie, uh, for the Minnesota Vixen. Uh, that has really helped them, I think, uh, really dominate their division, dominate their region, and get back to this uh, championship game. But then on the other side, for the, uh, for the New York Sharks, you have Karen Mulligan, who Mulligan is a longtime historic quarterback, you know, in my book, one of the top dozen quarterbacks to ever play this game. She's been playing for, for I think, uh, about a decade now. But uh, the one thing that's missing on her resume is I don't believe she's ever been to a national championship game. I could be wrong. Uh, she's won a couple of gold medals as a quarterback with the uh, uh, IFAF Women's World Championships. Uh, she's a two-time member of Team USA, won a couple of gold medals there. What she's missing in the trophy case is uh, a national championship and, and I believe even the national championship game appearance. Uh, but one, you know, statistically – one of the all-time great quarterbacks in women's football history and really just sort of trying to break through and, and, and get to this level. And, uh, you know, the Sharks-Vixen, it's, it's going to be such an exciting game. I know the Vixen have a handful of players. I'm not sure that the Sharks have any uh, who are actually still competing on that team since 1999 who, uh, who were there when they saw the Sharks the first time. And, and to have them uh, get back together again, I think it's going to be a competitive game. I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it's going to be a game that's going to celebrate women's football history, and, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I can tell you Moose was here last weekend. She's not going there to lose. That's what I was told. <laughs> she was part mm-hmm. of the four players left on that Vixen team that lost to the Sharks, I guess, that day. So it's kind of full circle yes, for them. Yes, And um, yeah, she, she did say she's one, not yeah. going. she's not going there to lose. That's what she said. So, uh, you know, <laughs> it's sort of the Jenkins – theory of, you know, no non-defeated. So uh, I, I'm assuming, that, you know, uh, Laura, uh, Laura and Moose did were very confident. So, uh, you know, this time around, I mean, they've gone through a lot, as you, as you uh, alluded already, organizationally-wise, restructured-wise, uh, community-wise. So they've done a lot. Um, and then having a rookie quarterback take them to the promised land, I mean, that would be like the good finish to their season, the opportunity to, you know, and how, how can that feel? I mean, that's got to feel like amazing – you're a rookie quarterback, and you're going to almost the national, you know, almost one step away from the national championship. Imagine if you do beat New York, you're in the national championship. Uh, you know, two steps away from it. I mean, that's got to feel great. 
Um, the other side, we know what the Falcons are all about, uh, sort of like the elite of the WFA. <laughs> um, they have literally just, I don't know, you, you know, put people in coffins and nailed it up. That's really what they do. They, 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 they don't have any other motor that, but that. So um, do you see the same results here? I know we're not, we don't want to give Austin, uh, you know, no credit, but, God, uh, it's a freight train. Yeah. Um, uh, first, let me just uh, to capstone your your previous thing. It's it's an amazing you know thing, an amazing feeling for for a rookie quarterback to potentially lead the Minnesota Vixen to uh, to the national championship game. But that's where they got to be careful because I know the New York Sharks have a ton of veterans on their team and uh, have been waiting for this opportunity too. And uh, uh, it's a Cinderella story right up until the shatter uh, the the slipper gets shattered. And so you know uh, the New York Sharks have played some very very good competition this year. So they're going to be battle tested and ready for that game as well. Um, uh, but yeah, moving on to the uh, to the Utah Falcons, they are. I mean, they're steamrolling. I think they've always been in a tough position all year long because, Glee from the opening kickoff, they were the overwhelming favorites to win. And so you know you have that sort of pressure hanging on you, <laughs> and it doesn't look like pressure because honestly they've just been steamrolling everyone they've played, but. They've also played uh, a lot of subpar competition that I don't think really has had uh, the capacity to fight back. And I think Carson, for for the first time they faced a team that really had an opportunity to at least bite back a little bit. And uh, yes, it was 38 to nothing, uh, but you know it wasn't the you know 73 nothing game at halftime that last year's conference championship game. Uh, was for the Utah Falcons, and I'll be surprised if this game is is that way either. I'd be very very surprised by that. The Austin Yellow Jackets have a, have an extremely good team. They have a very good organization. I think this is where the IWFL's terrible terrible incompetence in terms of just ending the regular season a week early and handing the championship to uh, the Austin Yellow Jackets is 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 so sad because. The Yellow Jackets have had a great season, and the fact that they've had to sit back and almost sort of justify uh, why they were they were handed uh, an undefeated regular season when the, their season finale, which is the toughest game on their schedule, was just scrapped by the league, you know, put them in a difficult position because it's not a position they asked for. And uh, and and one of the things that I think can get lost in those types of things is, is Austin's a very very good team. Austin has had an excellent season thus far. They've got some playmakers. Uh, once again, I think when you start analyzing these games, and, and in women's football in particular, you get to the conference championship game level, and you know you have Austin having to travel all the way to Utah. That is a trek. And I know you you know you, you want to say it's not going to impact you, it's not going to affect you at all. It's a long, long road to travel, and. Uh, you know, I, I've actually, you know, I've I've had the good fortune to, uh, you know, sort of privately uh, come across a couple of people uh, with the Austin organization. They're 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 a tough bunch. They're a tough-minded bunch, and they're they're a strong strong team. I think one of the things that's going to be interesting is to see what do the Utah Falcons do when they get into a game with a team that can really counterpunch them. You know, I mean. They're one of these teams, the Utah Falcons, who kind of like uh, Mike Tyson in his prime, where they just, you know, all of their all their matches go 30 seconds, and you know, you 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 started to wonder, 
with you know with Tyson with that. Well, what happens if somebody I can actually counterpunch him? And what happens when somebody actually extends him around two rounds, three rounds? And then do you dig down and and get the victories or not? And to me, that's what champions are made of. That's what championship playoff battles are made of. And so that's what's most exciting, I think, about the game. I, I, I think Austin is, is, is going to show up, and I think they're going to, to play respectively. Will they win? I don't know. But I, they're, gonna, they're definitely going to make their presence felt. Now, you've got to have uh, some real um, reservations right now because you know what Utah's all about. So if you're Austin, you understand can, you have to hold them to scoring. That's really the only key you got. If the, so defensively, it's, it really boils down on the defense because it, it, this is it. I mean, this is uh, – I, I know offensively Austin can score, but reality is uh, their defense has got to come to play in order for them to hold back this freight train. Um, uh, Troy, what do you think? I mean, Utah's been scoring almost 80 points a game with no real competition, as if you want to call it. And now, you know, the scenario is, you know, Austin – uh, because of the logistics of the league, gets handed, uh, you know, the, the Central Conference trophy, which they didn't earn. This was this is what uh, Neil's trying to point out. And all of a sudden, now you get, uh, I don't know, uh, the Hulk <laughs> in terms of Utah, <laughs> and and you gotta, you, you know, to move to the next round, you gotta beat the Hulk. <laughs> well, not to mention it's not just the Hulk, but it's a pissed off Hulk. I mean, so somebody to exactly. you know, exactly. hand somebody a trophy without them earning it. I mean, just imagine, uh, just imagine how motivated this Utah team is. It was already. Oh you know, wow! I didn't even think of that. Hard. You're right. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, just, they, You're I mean, right. They didn't do you. They didn't do Austin any favors. I'll tell you. <laughs> it's not going to be. That's pretty true. Good. You're right. This is this is this is just bad. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, listen, if Austin could come out of this one with a win, all, all praises do. I mean, seriously. I mean, they, they, they weathered it all. I mean, if they went ahead and gave them the title and they still can overcome the anger, not, and not just the anger, but the with the sheer skill of that Utah team, then you got, you got to take your hats off to Austin. But then they have to go ahead and do it again. And so whoever they play between New York and Minnesota – they're probably going to be. They're probably also going to use that as motivation as well for somebody to be crowned to anything before they even earn it. Yeah, it's just, it, this is going to be interesting, Neil. Um, in this side of the bracket, it's interesting because if Mulligan and company takes care of Minnesota, we already we've already penciled Utah. So imagine that next round: Utah, New York, historic franchise taking up this up and coming team of the last you know couple years with very high regard, we're in the national finals. They went up against Pittsburgh. I mean, so the, like, the dynamic storyline is right there. Then you, have a, you also have the flip side. Maybe an upset – I might be on drugs right now, but anyways, maybe an upset by Austin over Utah, um, and then maybe taking on Minnesota more equally there. But, uh, yeah, this is going to be a good dynamic team. Um, how, about, how about the other side? Uh, Houston obviously would have preferred to be in Tier 1. <laughs> but it did not happen. Carson put up a, a decent fight against Utah, as you claim. And so now we have Houston versus Carson. Carson, new team, chip on their shoulders. They got to face an elite team in Utah. Now they get to face Laura Cantu and the Houston Wildcats. 
Yeah, um, obviously, you know, this this goes back to the Houston-Austin controversy. And, and let me be very, very clear. Austin, you know, deserves everything they've gotten. They've gone undefeated. The league shenanigans with respect to whatever's gone on wasn't the result of Austin. And I would actually be a little more cautious if I was Utah than Austin because I feel like Austin could be the team going in there with the chip on their shoulders of saying, listen, we've we've had to hear over and over and over again how our regular season was cut short by a game and that led to us being here. We're going to prove we belong here. And, uh, you know, that's the thing I would be a little more worried about if I was Utah because, again, Austin is an extremely talented team. All due respect to Austin, the league shenanigans are, are, are the bigger issue. But, you know, for Houston – they obviously are <laughs> they are trying to Austin is trying to sort of finish was really kind of an epic odyssey flying in the face of the IWFL management which the IWFL management really unfairly shut them out of any opportunity to play in the actual playoff and instead slotted them into this consolation bracket so the Houston Wildcats they go up to Nebraska to beat the Nebraska Stampede. Now the IWFL is like, okay, now you're going to go to California and go play the Carson Wildcats. <laughs> Travel costs and, and fundraising, wow. Then it's like, then it's like, then you know, if they can win that game, then Houston gets for as a reward, Houston gets to go all the way down to Charlotte, all for an opportunity to essentially win a consolation champ. And that was one of the reasons why, you know, when, when this whole brouhaha came about, you were like, well, is, uh, is Houston even going to even gonna do this? I mean, is this worth it for essentially what is a consolation chance for them? Wow. They're basically trying to make their statement that, listen, we belonged in the playoffs. We got shut out of this. We're going to – and just to spite everybody, we're going to go to Charlotte and win this darn And win the Founders Bowl. And uh, – you know, and and it's but it's, it's, it's so possible. crazy. I mean, it's like mind-boggling. I mean, it's yeah. So crazy Can you imagine it's the, the cost? No. The cost no. is what we're talking about. The cost no. to go from uh, to California, and then a week it's and a half crazy. later, you have to fundraise to get yourself to Charlotte. That's just crazy. But see, this having is part already of the gone problem. Nebraska, yeah. Yeah, but see, guys, this is part of the problem that leads to the dare I say idiocracy that is plaguing the women's game. You have wonderfully talented young ladies who are having to put up with moronic administrative decisions that unfortunately, just like we're here scratching our heads, can you imagine trying to be a poor fan following this foolishness? And at the end of the day, it is so difficult to keep up with it that I'm just dizzy listening. So imagine, you know, to the non-casual fan. In case you think, I think Neil's had to drink a lot of good Kool-Aid to stay afloat all this yes, time. Yes, he has. We haven't got he that really Kool-Aid has. yet. We haven't had <laughs> no, that Kool-Aid yet. Well, so. But you know what, though? But this is, again, it goes back to what we said is how can we establish the game when the average person can't even follow what's going on. It's very clear. I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. The Dallas Cowboys are from Dallas, Texas. This is who's in their division. This is who they play, 16 games, and that's it. There's none of all of this crazy running around back and forth. And then fundraising. 
my God, a bake sale is not going to get the local high school band across the country for the Rose Bowl parade. What kind of foolishness is this when you're asking people to play on a professional level? I, I All just right, can't. Kishi, we're taking you we're taking you off the fundraising committee because you just depressed everybody. We're gonna have to just do. We won't have to do. We won't have to do cookies anymore. We'll have to do the big uh, LB job over here with some barbecue and some real steak just to get people to get some some, some oh, money to pay for a plate. Right That's what we're gonna do. Because baked goods <laughs> isn't gonna cut it. To your point. <laughs> Neil Neil knows about baked goods. Uh, I don't think anybody's buying baked goods. It's usually going to be a lot better than that. Um, uh, Neil, I, I don't know. This is this is kind of yeah. I mean, to your point, this is kind of a crazy somebody's Kool Aid. I mean, to go to go to Nebraska, then you got to go to Carson. I understand the pride of everything. You know, you want to go for a championship, but I don't know. I mean, this is just what do you got to do? You got to mortgage your house just to get all the way up the, at the other side if you win in Cali. I mean, that's just how bad it's going to be. For Houston, this is absolutely a journey of pride, of basically saying we were unfairly shut out of the playoffs, and we're going to show everybody in this sport why we were unfairly shut out of the playoffs. You know that the last thing in the world that the IWFL wants to do is hand a Founders Bowl trophy to the Houston Wildcats when they scrapped their final regular season game and didn't give them a shot at the playoffs. Wow. I mean that hey, I'm not going to be I'm going to be very bold right now, but I'm pretty sure the uh Houston Wildcats organization will have one of those middle foam fingers at the end when they grab the trophy if that's the case. <laughs> well, you know, and 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 for them, they honestly, you know, the funny thing is is that they're 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 sitting back who this whole situation has created a, a scenario where, you know, I think I think there are a lot of people on the Houston Wildcats team who won't consider their job done until they win the actual IWFL championship. I mean, the, this is a team. Its mindset, honestly, is we want to go to Carson and we want to, you know, we want to play Carson and we want to put on, you know, uh, a good showing and then go to Charlotte, play whoever we're going to play in the Founders Bowl, and then say we want Utah, you know, or whoever it is, because. You know, their their mindset has always been, listen, whether they, whether they were going to beat Austin or weren't going to beat Austin, whether they could have gone to Utah and won or couldn't have gone to Utah and won, the point is they weren't given an opportunity by a league. And you know the league doesn't want them succeeding when it says, well, first we're going to send you to Nebraska, then we're going to send you to California, then we're going to send you to Charlotte, all just to, to do this. I think the IWFL put them in a position where they were probably hoping they would have just turned the bid down. But they didn't turn the bid down. They went up to Nebraska True. and they won the True. game. And uh, now they're now they're heading out to Carson, and we'll see. I mean, it's hard to predict that game. Um, you know, these are two neighborhoods that haven't played each other. Carson is a very skilled, well uh, well coached team. Bobby Jose has done a fantastic job with that team and that organization. But I don't know. I don't know how Houston Carson's going. Actually, amidst all this chaos and nonsense and and chicanery that's gone on with the IWFL league office, Carson Houston is actually a really good game that I, I'm going to be enter, you know I'm going to be entertained to see who actually yeah. comes out on top. No, it'll of be that a good one. game. But, uh, it'll yeah, be a good game a minus fun, everything else that we talked about. So the other sure. game is Carolina. Before we let you go here, Carolina against the Blaze, uh, veteran team in the Blaze. Obviously, uh, Carolina's been here before. They've won a championship before, so their organization has—they know hardware. So, um, 
the edge I want to give to Carolina. They're more offensively minded, uh, defensively a little bit better. Uh, Madison has not really shown anything except for they can get to this stage, but they've never overcome, sort of like the Cincinnati Bengals. So I, I don't know. Madison is interesting because last year they essentially did what the Houston Wildcats are being tasked with doing this year, which is traveling all over Tarnation. I'm trying to remember uh, where Houston, uh, Madison went. I think the, the, they went to Houston, played the Houston Energy. Then two weeks later they went to Salt Lake City and played Utah. And then after they lost that game, they were invited to the Founders Bowl, which at that time was a one-off game, and went out to Rock Hill. South Carolina. So they their playoff journey last year, the Madison Blaze, was Houston, Salt Lake City, Rock Hill, South Carolina. <laughs> so so I guess my point with the Madison Blaze would be if anybody can travel out to uh Carolina uh yeah. for a potential uh, uh upset of, of of the Carolina Phoenix because remember if the Madison Blaze do beat the Carolina Phoenix in Carolina then they have to turn right back around and go back to Charlotte two weeks later for uh, for the Founders Bowl championship game. So, you know, they'd actually be looking at two trips to North Carolina uh, in the span of about two weeks. But, yeah, I, I, I do think I like the Carolina Phoenix organization. I think they're they're really, you know, uh, they, they, they didn't play uh, perform particularly well in their only loss this year against the New York Sharks, but I think, they're, they're they're a strong organization. Their team has won an IWFL championship a couple of years back. Uh, they're playing at home, and again, when you talk about these long road trips, I like home teams from that perspective. And you also, again, have the Carolina Phoenix motivated to win this game and play in the Founders Bowl championship, essentially at home in North Carolina in Charlotte. So, right. you know, I think that bodes well there's for a, Carolina. There's, there's but, an incentive. Uh, it, it should be another good matchup. All right, so. Uh... We all agree, so before we leave here, let's all sit sit down here and make it. So we all agree we're going to take uh, Carolina Phoenix. Well, I'm going to take Carolina Phoenix. Uh, Wildcats, Carson, I don't know. I just I think Carson might edge the Wildcats. I don't want to end their season, but I just think um, that might be the case. Uh, I know the Sharks are hungry. I know the Vixens. Uh, I'm going to go with Moose. She 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 sounded like she was ready to roll. So we'll go with Minnesota over New York in a hard-fought battle. Uh, Utah over Austin, that's what I'm taking. Anybody taking differently? Silence no, and cricket. No, not me. I think we're all in agreement. Uh, I don't know. I, I, right, I, I so hate I'm, making these picks. This, this is the worst thing in the world for me is making the picks. Neil, but I, I know, but we got to make them because Neil, we're analyzing. I know. I know. You got that's to make the, the That's part of the job. Nope, we're holding you know what? to it. I'll, You've got to make I'll, the picks. I, I love, love, love the Minnesota Vixen. I'll actually take the New York Sharks in that. And uh, I, 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 there's something about the New York Sharks. I, I want to see them get to this championship game. So, you know, after so many years. And so uh, uh love the Vixen. It's going to be a good one, but I, I'll, I'll take the Sharks. And the other thing is, is just because I believe in karma, as much respect as I have for Coach Jose and those folks out in Carson, just because I love karma, I'll uh, I'll go ahead and take the uh, the Houston Wildcats to uh, keep this uh, keep this whole controversy going and uh, take it to Charlotte. So uh, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll controversy, give the nod to Houston on that You know I love controversy. Yeah. This is uh, this is how <laughs> yeah. it's on my website. Controversy. This is how we roll. This is how we roll. In the WFA, so. This. 
in the WFA, we're taking. Uh, unfortunately, are we taking the elite? Because I'm I'm taking elite, and I'm going to take. Uh, uh, I think it's going to be DC edging, Boston, and then on the other side, uh, the I'm I'm just I, I'm going to roll with the Phantoms. I know the Inferno brings a lot. Uh, I just think the the Phantoms somehow if they can muster it up, uh, they got a pretty good squad. They've been very good in Tier One. Uh, I might be going against this, but. Um, so I would say uh, let's go with Philadelphia. And then the other matchup uh, was the slam against the Trojans. I just, it's tough. And so, but I'll take St. Louis uh, in that regard. So anybody different? Yes, I have. Okay. So my different is I'm going with, I'm going with, well, we're going with a rematch. So we're the same there. I'm going with a rematch in tier one and I'm going Dallas to lead again in the DC Divas. And then um, for the uh, Tier 2 matchup, I am going with, and I'm making a bold prediction here, I'm going with the Inferno and the Trojans. Wow, Inferno and Trojans, awesome. Uh, Troy, you got anything different than that? Go ahead. Yeah, um, I'm actually going with the, I'm going with the DC Divas. Um, I just think that we are headed for a rematch. Of uh, the the divas and and uh, the Dallas Elite, and I think um, you know I'm I just can't I, I, you know I can't I can't take Philadelphia I just can't take them I got to go Tampa um, so you, I think Tampa so you got Tampa and you got Tampa St Louis or Tampa Sin City I'm gonna go Sin City. I think yes. Sin City's going to be You're going Sin City, too. Yeah. Wow. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. Troy, we agree on something? Oh, my hey, don't, God. Don't, don't, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Okay, Neil. Neil, uh, you cannot do the D.C. Say. Boston game. We'll, we'll we'll disallow that one for you, so there's no punishment there. I'll do you one better. I'm not going to pick Dallas Central Cal either because I don't want to. I don't want to go on record as either have any of the one. Are you kidding me? What? You don't want Jenkins. You don't want Jenkins on the phone right after the win. You don't want Jenkins on the phone right after the win. If if I pick Dallas and Central Cal is all over me, or if I pick Central Cal and Dallas are, I'm not going to bring down that kind of thunder. Two very very good teams there. You don't want you don't Neil. You don't want the owner of the WFA. You don't want the owner of the WFA calling you right after the loss? That, well, they, uh, either one of them would probably could be calling me after the loss. And Did the we win. not so, just uh, discuss this real <laughs> controversy? Did we not That's discuss this yeah. controversy? <laughs> We're going to hold I, your I, feet to the fire. I love, oh. I love controversy. When there's no, there's no me, independent investigation going to go on here, by the way, just to let you know. <laughs> I, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna bring the DC Divas into it. I can promise you that. I, no, that's uh, I'll, fair. I'll no, that's, that's absolutely me, fair. I ain't gonna we're, bring it on the. I go bring it on gonna, their heads either way. We're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna blame you for that one. That's a valid. What, that's what a smart, smart man. man! But I'll tell you what, I, I, I do like on the hot seat. I do like. Uh, I you know what? I, I think I. It's it's a really really tough call, but I think I, I will go with Tampa. It's a really tough okay. call because I, I've seen Philly and I like what they have to do, but you know what? I like undefeated Tampa. I think uh, I think they're kind of flying under the radar. So you know what? I'll, I'll take Tampa uh, as a road team to go up and win, and then uh, you know what? I just like St. Louis. I like St. Louis. Due respect to uh, Sin City, but 
I just can't get St. Louis's victory over Kansas City out of my head when uh, when I look at the St. Louis Slam. So uh, a couple of really good games there, but I'll take St. Louis Tampa in the uh, Tier Two title game. All right, so we got it. We're good. Uh, if we may, if we mess up, uh, you can replay the the podcast over and over and over for all of our predictions. Um, So Neil thanks for coming on Really appreciate it It's going to be a really great weekend of football In the WFA and the IWFL And we'll see you know, once everything The fireworks are off Once everything clears we'll see who's left standing Um, I do agree that It's probably going to be DC, Dallas It looks like a rematch again So um, You know it's just going to be great football And then you got the Inferno you know obviously On a roll as well you got the Sharks looking for their you know, uh, championship. You got Moose up in Minnesota uh, from since '99. It's great stories, so it's it's awesome. Uh, let them know where they can get your uh, encyclopedia. Yes, Women's Football Encyclopedia, uh, a fine, fine book, if I do say so myself. Over 400 pages of stats, history. Uh, you know, over 10,000 players listed. Over 5,000 game game results uh, in women's football, going back all the way to the early days of the. Minnesota Vixen in 1999, as well as uh, even before that in the 60s and 70s. But um, Women's Football Encyclopedia, you can find me at neilrosendahl.com. You can find a book section there and find it there. You can also find me on Facebook. Uh, I run the Women's Gridiron Football Group on Facebook, so you can look me up there. But uh, Women's Football Encyclopedia, it's uh, uh, it's a book that I think uh, most women's football fans uh, should uh, should check out because uh, it's, it's a big part of our history. So there you go. Awesome, Neil. So uh, we'll look forward to next week then. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'll tell you what, if you, people who order the book, absolutely, let me know. I I have, uh, I've got the first run copies, which uh, were the first copies that I had off the press. And I've got, uh, I've got probably about, oh, I don't know, I'd have to check. But uh, uh, most of them are gone, but I still got a few left. So, and I'm going to be, either way, regardless of how the Divas Boston game goes, I'm going to be up. Uh, I plan to be up in Pittsburgh for the WFA National Championship weekend, so I'll be up there for that too. So uh, maybe you'll find me wandering around there. But uh, just want to be on the safe side. Go to neilrosendahl.com/books, uh, and uh, you'll find the Women's Football Encyclopedia there. And I'd be happy to sign it for you if uh, if you're so awesome. interested. So Neil, uh, look forward to next week then, if you can make it. That way we'll recap the uh, the clashes for this coming weekend, and then we'll see who's going to be in the final for I believe July tw- uh, July twenty third, I believe twenty second, twenty third. So um, I in the uh, before you go in the Facebook page, the um, the WFA has put in a, a separate Facebook page for the championship. It's called the Weibull. So if you go to uh, like the Weibull on Facebook and email a screenshot to contest at com for a chance to win some tickets, four-game championship tickets. Uh, for a chance to win those, you can include your name and phone number in the email. The drawing will take place on Monday, July 18th. So go to uh, like the Weibull on Facebook and email a screenshot at contest at com for a chance to win uh, tickets to all four games on that weekend. So, uh, Neil, we'll touch base with you next week. Thank you again for uh, all the information, and you're uh, awesome. And we always look forward to talking to you uh, about women's football. Well, thank you. You guys are awesome, too, and I'll uh, talk to you soon. Have a great night. Safe travels. 
Good night, guys. Good night, Neil. All right. So, uh, Troy, um, let's move into uh, last week we had the, uh, uh, Legends Football League, but literally these last two weeks have been a donuts. And I, I don't know how – I don't even know if we want to review these two games because they have – ever since Atlanta put a spanking in Omaha, Chicago put a spanking on the Liberty, and then this weekend Chicago once again put a spanking on Omaha. So it's just, I don't know, it's a three weeks of depressing LFL action, I guess, if you want to call it that. Yeah, um, it is. But the one thing, I, you know, I did want to bring up with Chicago was what they're doing, um, you know, with their with their team and just watching Jacinda Barkley become a different player. You know, she wasn't, she wasn't one of these heralded quarterbacks coming into the season, but man, has she acquitted herself or not? Man? I mean, she she's really you know taking her game to another level. You watch that the way she plays. I always like to do a comparison. Okay, well, I always like to do a comparison of uh, a player in the you know, in in the LFL and then compare them to you know a player that you know people may be a little bit more familiar with in the NFL. And the one player that Jacinda Barkley reminds me of is Alex Smith. She's so fundamental. You know, she makes great decisions. You know, I watch her. She's she's tough. You know, she's athletic enough. You know, she can get the corner. Um, you know, and then, you know, if you, you know, and not to take a shot at Tashay Winfrey, but I would love to see Tashay Winfrey play like this because she has that type of skill set. She's got a great arm. She's athletic. The Shea Winfrey of, of Austin, uh, the Austin Acoustics. Um, she has, you know, but you, you watch her just send a Barkley play that with her toughness and decision-making. When she doesn't see anything there, she just throws the ball out of bounds. Or, you know, she, she tucks it and runs, and then she'll, she might take a big hit, and she comes right back. And then you also have an emerging player on the wide receiver, as A.J. Johnson. She's a big, lean receiver, catches great hands. She's got great hands, great catch radius. And then also, uh, they're they're resting Chris Dells Harris, who is their you know their big player you know coming into the season. Now she's getting a little bit long in the tooth, so they're trying to get her some rest. But listen, there's only really four games in the regular season. But right now, what they've got is they have Javille Thompson, who's taking over for her, and she had a huge game against New England. You know, she's she's big, she's strong, she's tough. I mean, she, she can run the ball, she can get it up in there. You can see she has those young legs. And, um, you know, Chicago's got it rolling right now, albeit against some, you know, pretty porous competition because both of those teams that we alluded to before, New England and Omaha, have been blown out, you know, um, a couple times this year. But nonetheless, when you know, part of being a great football team is to win when you're supposed to win. And that's what Chicago is doing. So you can't penalize them too much for that. But I like the, what they're doing. I do want to see what Chris Dale Harris looks like, um, you know, especially when I believe they're going to make the playoffs. So I want to see how she looks out there. And, you know, she gets a little bit more run. So I want to see what they look like, you know, going into it. Because I remember when they played Seattle in the beginning of the season, and I'm overly impressed with that Seattle team, even though they did take their loss to Dallas. But, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to Dallas, but I like the way that they compete. I love the way Chicago complete competes, and I think that bodes well for them going into the playoffs. Troy, the the difference at QB now, it, you know, Heather Fur 
uh, used to play both sides of the ball, necessarily here with Jacinda Barkley. So there's a big difference there in terms of the coaching style. I know she plays some on the uh, defensive side, but not so much as Heather Furr used to play. But to your point, she is a, a little bit more mobile. She has a great vision, as you're pointing out, and she does know how to secure the football. So it's, it's very different than what Heather Furr used to be. So I'm, I'm not familiar with with Heather Fur. Like, how, how was her her playing style? Was she more uh, was she more of a thrower? As you said, Jacinda's a little uh, bit more. No, athletic. I mean, I just she she take she used to take a lot more chances. You know, running the ball, gotcha. tucking it in. The opportunity was there for obviously for you know for turnovers, a lot more turnovers, a lot more pressure. Um, Jacinda basically, you know, it's more of a step back. See the you know th- uh, three three zones, and if she doesn't have like you said, if she doesn't see the read, she's just gonna throw it away. And if she does see an opening, it's on the edges, and normally she takes that run. So it, and it's always within the red zone. So she's pretty smart on that. Um, the big test for this team will be Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta's Achilles heel has been Chicago. So maybe Coach Hack is saving uh, Crystal Harris for that two set back opportunity against the big dog, which is going to be Atlanta for the disappointment for Atlanta, because uh, they're going to play Atlanta uh, on the last week 16. They play Atlanta at Toyota park, which is their home, their last home game. So uh, I'm thinking that's what coach hack is doing here. He obviously he wants to get back to legends cup. So Atlanta's journey begins this weekend on Saturday, week 13. And that's what they're going to take on Mo Gax and the new temptation and LA comes this weekend, uh, comes into this weekend, July 9th with a must win. They, they, if they do not win, they're literally out because Dallas already beat Seattle and Dallas only needs to beat, uh, I think, uh, Omaha, which I do not think that's going to be an obstacle. So <laughs> technically, you know what I mean? Coach Tui and the, and the, and the gang in Cali, uh, they're going to hot Atlanta, and uh, given how Atlanta looked against Omaha, 77-0, this will be Atlanta's first big test, and then they get uh, the Liberty after this week. So I, I don't know. This is this is this is do or die for Los Angeles, which they've never been in this position in the league history. They've always been the the you know the juggernaut that overcomes and you know, steamrolls. This year they've struggled. Uh, they have, they even struggled against, uh, you know, Dallas at the beginning, remember, uh, even though they edged. Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's, they haven't played to their point. 49-32 against the acoustic, the last game against the acoustic, uh, uh, Austin put up a good fight and towards the end there, they, they kind of creeped out and they won it. But for the first three quarters, remember they, they were getting, they were getting, uh, Austin was putting it in their place. And uh, the Gax Shilling Company were getting a little worried there. They're playing down to the uh, so-called Austin, but the acoustics last game, I mean, they, they were pretty impressive. 49-32, they almost beat. So, um, I don't know, Troy. This is Los Angeles' is a big test right here. It's playoffs or no playoffs against Atlanta. It's huge. Now, now Mo Gaxiola, she, you know, she's, she's not the player that she used to be. But – in actuality, that doesn't matter because of how great of a leader she is. And you can see that. Their team follows her. They're going to need that kind of leadership for them to move forward. I mean, because, listen, let's let's be honest here. 
I like the way L.A. plays, but they won that Dallas game when Victoria Thomas went out. When she went out with a concussion, L.A. started to take that game over. And that was their biggest win. You're right. You now, keep making that now, point. You're right. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's what I always, you know, go back to. Now, you know, maybe, uh, you know, Mo of the past, I, I would feel a little bit more comfortable. But watching that Atlanta team, and I saw those guys up and close now, they were playing against Oklahoma. I mean, excuse me, Omaha. But, man, I mean, you got Dakota Hughes out there. She's confident. She takes command. She's an obvious leader of that team. You got Brittany Demery. I mean, she's running all over the place. I mean, she's she's kind of sort of in the line of Victoria Thomas. I mean, she can lower that shoulder and she can get low on someone, and you see people flying out of that pile. I mean, she is tough. So, I mean, she's they're going to have their, their work cut yeah, out for you, them going into Atlanta. And, Troy, you, Troy, you can't forget Atlanta has Petrozulo and Ziegler on the corners. It's just, it's just, I don't know, man. It's just, I don't know if the, I don't even know if the LAD is going to be able to contain. To your point, uh, Atlanta similar to Dallas in a in a lot of ways offensively. You know what I mean? I, yeah, you got Jay Randall. A lot of similar to Dallas. You got Brittany Demery. You got Victoria Thomas on the. You know, I mean, so the similar makeup. They couldn't keep up with Dallas based on just the fact, like you said, that Thomas was injured. Um, I don't know. This is this is tough. This is a really cha- a big challenge for them. Yeah, I mean to say the least. I mean, so you know, you you want to see you want to see them compete, and that's the only thing you can really ask for at this point. But you know, they're going against a pretty tough team. That Atlanta team is going to be ready. Now, Troy, um, the two-headed uh, quarterback duel that Tui has put in place has worked at times pretty good. But against a veteran team like Atlanta, with the veteran quarterback, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I'll give credit. Jane Conwell has improved. Kiara, Kiara Patterson, you know, at times has looked good. But they're coming into this game. I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know. If offensively, they even have what it takes to stay toe to toe. Because once Atlanta gets rolling, you know, if the if the uh, LAD doesn't contain, you are going to see a blowout. Yeah, and I think part of why they went to the two-quarterback system is that they were playing Austin, and I'm not sure if they exactly respected, you know, the skill set of that Austin team. So I felt like, you know, they wanted to get, you know, Carl Wilson run out there, you know, see see the arm that she has and, you know, kind of, you know, get her up and running. But they were doing fine in the first quarter. I mean, they were doing – they were doing, you know, they 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 were they were pretty, you know, they they put the ball up and down the field, so they didn't really have to do that. Excuse me, um, uh, Kiara Patterson. Um, they had to get Kiara Patterson some run, but I think with Jane Caldwell, they they were they were running the ball up and down the field. I mean, they were they were, she completed every pass that you saw. I think maybe she had one completion in that first half, and then when they put Kiara Patterson in. Because they wanted to get her some run. I mean, uh, she scored on that first um, that first pass in the third quarter. But then after that, it was a little bit shaky, and Austin started to come back. And then, as you saw, and what they hadn't done before, I believe, is that they bought Jane Caldwell back in in the, in the middle of the fourth quarter because they wanted to make sure that they got their game, you know, um, in the bag. But I don't think you're going to see that. I don't think you can do. You don't think you can go with that game plan against Atlanta. And if they do, I, 
really surprised if Coach Tui comes out with that with that kind of with that kind of game plan. And with Atlanta's defense, yeah, I'd like to see how Niles Johnson is also going to acquit herself out there because she is she's pretty quick, yeah. she's powerful. But I don't know if she's went up against a defense. Well, maybe that Dallas defensive front is enormous. But again, they were short of you know a player out there. Uh, but I think it's going to be a heck of a matchup when they go to LA. So that's the game we got to watch for. Um, the YouTube game coming up. Uh, it's going to be the Blitz against Omaha, the 66-0 blowout. So uh, just for our purposes, we have to watch it. But uh, technically, <laughs> it's not a game you want to watch. But uh, you know what I mean. So, uh, but uh, reality is, we're looking forward to LA against Atlanta the week after to see how Coach Tui against Dane Robinson and LA versus Atlanta this weekend, July 9th. Um, let's go over the recap. We got uh, seven minutes. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, week eight in the Sugar and Spice Football League, the San Antonio Cowgirls fall once again and now continue the, their dismal season at 0-4. The Dallas Dynasty win 24-14 in their home opener to improve to 1-1. The Red Heart Harlingen Honeys continue to roll and ensure a playoff spot for Christy Mermaids 28-13. You can visit sugarandspicefootball.com for all game day trackers and score updates, plus more cool insights there. This weekend, uh, Sugar and Spice Football, the action, June 9th. The McAllen Mystics look to improve to 3-2. and two. They'll be taking on the low, uh, lowly and dismal San Antonio Cowgirls. The Cowgirls look for their first win of the season. I do not understand, but I do not – I don't know. They're just not I, – I don't see them winning. So, And the champions, Texas Lady Jaguars face the expansion, El Paso Envy. And I wish you luck, El Paso, because these uh, Jaguars are just vicious. Lady Jaguars on pace to return to a playoff spot and defend their crown. They're the uh, 2015 champions versus they're looking to the Red Heart Halogen Honeys, who they faced before and won. So it's pretty hot there. Um, if we go to Europe, give a shout-out to uh, Phoebe Skessler up there in uh, Bafa Women. They kicked off the Diamond Series between the Northern Blizzard against the Southern Blaze. Uh, Northern Blizzard won, I believe, 2013. So congratulations to them. It's the 11-11 you know, tournament there between North and South, accumulated players. Get our recap on our Facebook page. Congratulations to the Northern team. In Australia, there's tryouts going on all over the place, including Queensland, Victoria, and New South Wales. You can follow on Facebook at Women's Gridiron Leagues of Australia for the latest updates and news. Get ready for the Ladies' Gridiron League Season 2 as well. And a reminder to visit our shop at Zazzle.com. Today is the last day, 25% off, midnight Pacific Daylight Time. So far, we have raised $100 towards the goal to help the Outback squad of Australia uh, through our 2017 fundraiser. So order your chalkline gear and help us spread the word that girls play American football. Uh, big games this weekend, as we alluded to earlier, WFA, Women's Football Alliance, uh, the Final Four, the IWFL, Final Four Conference Finals as well. So stay tuned all weekend via our partners on Twitter, My Way Sports and WFB Fan Art, which is Michael Burmy. And you can get Michael Burmey's insights on our Facebook page for the uh, previews to this week's matchups. We will tweet out the live feeds as they be available. Um, so we got uh, five minutes here to go. And so, Troy, big weekend of women's football. In the uh, NFL, we're, we're going to probably recap everything that's going on, suspensions, uh, PED issues going on, uh, the, uh, the thing with uh, Peyton Manning resurfacing, plus other players like Clay Matthews and all that. So we'll talk about that next week first thing when we when we bounce in before 
we talk about the big games in the women's game. So um, anything else to add before we get out of here? Yeah, just wanted to give a shout-out to our guy, Neil Rosendahl. This guy, he is an encyclopedia himself, and then he went ahead and had to put his encyclopedia brain on paper and then made a book out of it. Please pick up the book. Thanks for helping us out. Preview the big games is coming up weekend. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us here at Block Talk Radio. Click the follow button and don't miss a show. Also, don't forget to check out our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest news in women's gridiron. Shout out to all our network partners that help us bring you the news. We definitely appreciate your efforts. We couldn't do it without you. Until next week, this is Troy Wilson speaking for Oscar and Nkishi. Catch you guys on the Gridiron Blitz right here on Blog Talk Radio and the ultimatesportstalk.com. Have a great weekend, everyone. Have a great night, everybody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.